and welcome to Philosophy Get Schooled. My name is Simon Kirchin. I'm a philosopher based at the University of Kent, and I'm also director of the British Philosophical Association. This is the short episode, the summary episode, on problem of evil. Um, so elsewhere on the list of Philosophy Get School topics and episodes, uh, you can find an in-depth discussion episode on the problem of evil, where I sit down with um, three teachers, Matt Harris, Mabel Rowe and Sophie Williams, and we talk about the problem of evil in depth, and we split it into three parts. Uh, the first part is on Augustine, and then on Plantinga, and then on John Hick, and their thoughts, and lots of other discussions come out from that. Um, but in this episode, the short episode, I'm just going to summarise um, what we discuss. Uh, and in fact, what I'm going to do is list some of the really interesting questions that come out of that discussion as a way of um, bringing them all together. So you, as a student, get a sense of some of the really interesting debating and discussion points around the problem of evil. Okay, before we get to that, though, let's just lay out what the problem of evil is. So the problem of evil is a uh, classic um, discussion point in the philosophy of religion, and it appears on lots of specifications because of that. So it's on AQA A-level philosophy, it's on various A-level religious studies specifications, OCR, Edexcel, uh, others as well. Uh, it's part of the IB, um, even though it isn't mentioned by name in Scottish hires. Um, David Hume was very interested in the problem of evil, um, so it's worth uh, bearing it in mind as well, even if you're not studying it in any of the specifications, because it's one of the big, big discussions um, that happens in, in philosophy of religion, and indeed theological reflection across the centuries. Um, although um, something we discuss early on is that particular focus on evil is very much something that came to the fore in the 20th century. Of course, um, philosophers and theologians and religious leaders were interested in bad things and terrible things happening. But evil in particular um, was uh, very much, um, uh, came to the fore, was very much the, the point during the 20th century because of many of the horrors of the First and the Second World War. And also another point we, we mention, um, I won't discuss it too much in this short episode, is that the problem of evil is very much uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, but other religious traditions we'll think about it in different ways. So we have a discussion of uh, Islam, we have a discussion about Hinduism uh, in the longer episode, and other religious traditions will think about evil in different ways, uh, the positive and the negative in the world that we belong to, whether caused by a god or gods, or whether it just exists anyway, and how they treat it and how they approach it, and how um, their religious tradition uh, and religious believers and followers should be thinking about positive and negative things in the world. Um, but let's just focus just on the short episode, just on the traditional problem of evil as given to us down uh, the ages through the Judeo-Christian um, uh, theory and uh, vision of God. So the problem of evil starts from thinking about different attributes of God. So God is assumed to be uh, omnipotent or all-powerful. God is assumed to be benevolent and all-loving or all-good. And then also you'll find that some people add in a third attribute of God, namely that he's all-knowing. So he can do anything he wants to do. He knows everything that's going on. 
and he is positively motivated. He's loving, he's good, he's benevolent. So if he can do anything he wants to do, he knows everything that's happening and he's motivated in good and positive ways, then how come evil exists in the world? Because surely a God that was all powerful and all knowledgeable and was supposed to be all good and loving and benevolent towards the world he created would not want there to be evil. So how come evil exists? That's the classic um, statement of the of the problem. Sometimes people don't include omniscience. Uh, I have just for just to, for completeness here. And so uh, from from that kind of inconsistent either triad or quartet, um, because you can't have it seems on the surface you can't have all four of those or three of those things all together. That's that's hence why people refer to it as an inconsistent triad or quartet then we need then some sort of approach, some response, some solution to uh, what we do. And so um, I've mentioned already in the in-depth episode, we split into three main parts, um, reflecting um, people who are mentioned in the various specifications uh, in A-level, IB and elsewhere. So St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, Alvin Plantinger, um, and John Hick. So Augustine was one of the great church fathers of the Christian church. Alvin Plantinger was 20th, 21st century um, philosopher of religion. John Hick, uh, likewise, 20th, 21st century philosopher of religion and theologian. Um, and they've got slightly different ways of approaching it, although a lot of it comes down to humans' free will and our nature. So very briefly, I'm just going to explain all three of them, and then we're going to come on to some of the interesting questions that arise out of our discussion in the in-depth episode. So St. Augustine, there's lots going on here, lots of very interesting background in his theological worldview, which uh, we uh, discuss and uh, go take you through in the in-depth episode. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, to this. Um, God didn't make, the, make evil, but evil happens. Well, how come? Well, God also... Uh, gave us free will. Um, human beings had free will, and there's there's complicated uh, issues there around Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and how free will entered and choices that um, Adam and Eve made. But in essence, humans have free will, and in general, that's seen as being um, valuable, um, that we have free will rather than not. And so... Uh, we can make certain choices. And so sometimes our choices are bad choices and sometimes they're evil choices. And that's how evil comes into the world. And for Augustine, or as many people as they read Augustine, this is a theodicy. And the theodicy is, as it were, the complete explanation as to why um, evil exists. And yet uh, God is still can still be seen as all-powerful all-knowing and all-loving. We get a different sense from Alvin Plantinga, although again a lot is down to free will, and importantly Alvin Plantinga thinks of his um, response as a defence, not a theodicy, and sometimes students get a bit confused by this. So broadly speaking a theodicy is something that seeks to give a complete explanation as to why um, things are as they are, and in this case why God's attributes are uh, consistent with, indeed, compossible with um, uh, evil, and this is the complete explanation. 
Whereas a defense is often seen as a kind of weaker thing, or we don't know exactly why evil exists, but we might cite free will simply to show that these things are consistent. So this could be the explanation as to why evil exists, and yet God still be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. Whereas a theodicy, what you're thinking you're doing, is giving the actual complete explanation. A defence is just to show that these things are consistent. And that's really what Alvin Plantinga's approach is. He goes into things in a bit more detail when it comes to free will um, and, and raises some of the questions that I'm going to come on to in, in a moment in the way that um, academic analytic philosophers will typically do in the, in the modern age. With John Hick, um, who was one of the great theologians and philosophers of religion in the, in the 20th century, John Hick takes a slightly different approach. And this is the approach given by Hick is often contrasted in the specifications, and I think for, for good reason. Free will is still part of it, okay? But there's an, an additional reason that runs through Hick's thought. And Hick draws on uh, St. Irenaeus and the, the, what he thinks of as the Irenaean theodicy. Um, which is slightly different from the Augustine uh, theodicy. So Hick says, yes, we have free will, but there's a particular point and purpose to it. It's um, that it makes us, having a world full of evil, which comes about through free will, is a better world than not. And it's specifically, it's a better world than not because it makes us into better people. Um, when there are situations which have suffering, which have um, uh, bad things happening, evil things, those are things that we can learn from, that we strive. Um, and so um, uh, this is often called the, the veil-making theodicy, the A-L-E-making theodicy, where we go through a veil, a kind of a set of tests, and we become better people. And that's why uh, we, we have uh, free will and have evil, um, because it helps to make us better people. There's lots more to say about what Jacques says um, in relation to that, but that gives you the broad outline. Now, there are some ways in which one might challenge um, all of these theodicies and, and defences. In brief, in brief, you might um, think, well, first of all, do we have free will? Um, so if we don't have free will, then what's going on? Um, and in particular in relation to Hick and something we discussed in the third part of the in-depth episode, some people can see the point of um, suffering and living in situations where there are bad things happening and evil. And certainly that is a part of life where you learn from things, where you become better people. You can show courage. You can show virtues that um, react to very bad things happening and, and um, we grow as people. That's undeniable. Um, but some people think that um, it can only take you so far. Because when we're talking about evil things, then sometimes people really, really do suffer. In fact, they might die or live terrible lives. They might be crushed. And we give some examples in the in-depth episode. And the uh, rhetorical question that always comes out uh, in relation to the, the Hicks development of the Irenaeus theodicy is, uh, what kind of uh, education or what kind of classroom, what kind of set of lessons um, kills or uh, so many of its students and makes them suffer? Uh, and indeed, um, one can almost say that um, it might be that I learn from other people's suffering, but then that might be that I or the universe 
is using these people's suffering in a kind of very instrumental way so that I can learn and develop as a human being. Well, that seems monstrous. Um, so there's lots of criticisms that can be raised against um, the, the Hictiodicy, even though there's lots of very interesting things in it. But even um, the broad sense of, of uh, kind of many of the traditional responses to the problem of evil rest on free will. So do we have free will? We talk about all of these things in the in-depth episode, but also what we do, as, I, as I've mentioned, is we have a range of questions that come out from free will. And perhaps um, some thoughts around that. So certainly as a student, um, you should be learning the basics of the problem of evil. You have already laid out um, the, the basic structure of it. Uh, God is, in the Judaic Christian tradition anyway, is thought to be uh, omniscient, uh, omni. Uh, omnipotent, um, all-loving, but why does evil exist? Um, and so you might think it's quite a neat, simple um, topic to, to, to get on top of. And initially, of course, it is. But there's loads of things that you can start questioning just from that um, particular setup. So what do all these terms mean? And are any of them... Um, uh, consistent with any other, let alone the, 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 the triad. Um, and so it's worth then thinking about the questions I'm about to give you, which can be thinking about as stretch questions or tra challenge questions, perhaps the questions you might want to debate in your classroom or outside the classroom with friends. Um, and it's really important then to be thinking in this way because it shows you that the problem of evil is a very interesting philosophical problem and also an interesting issue for someone uh, if they are a person of faith. So here's some of those questions then. So first of all, I've, I've mentioned evil and then occasionally I've mentioned bad things, but what do actually we, do we mean by evil? Do we mean just anything negative that happens? That's a very broad sense of what evil might be. Or do we mean something quite specific? So really horrendous, atrocious, terrible actions. And that might be acts of genocide. It might be acts in relation just to one person. Uh, but, you know, acts of torture towards that one person or prolonged, severe uh, bullying, perhaps with, with kind of evil intent, perhaps those things might, might qualify as, as evil. Um, and a classic distinction that's often discussed in relation to the problem of evil is the distinction between moral evil and natural evil. What do we mean by moral evil and natural evil? Is there a distinction between them? Can the distinction be made out? So typically when people think about moral evil, they're thinking about things that human beings do. Um, some of the things I've just mentioned, for example, genocide or, or bullying. Uh, and natural evil, people will often say, well, earthquakes and diseases. But then if you think a little bit more carefully about those examples, you might say, well, okay, let's think about earthquakes. Well, earthquakes just kind of happen, right? And certainly people can die just naturally. But then think, what happens if earthquakes happen again and again? And certainly in the modern age, we've got sophisticated scientific equipment. We know where fault lines are and where earthquakes are likely to happen. Um, and yet human beings still decide to build houses of a certain type on or near fault lines. And yet people will die or suffer greatly if there is an earthquake um, because of what happens to their accommodation, their housing, their workplace and so on. And so... If someone's suffering or dies in an earthquake uh, because that's where they're living, how much of that is a moral evil and how much of that is a natural evil? You can say similar things about diseases um, and pandemics, for example. Um, so it's something to debate in class. What do we mean by moral evil? What do we mean by natural evil? 
Uh, particularly when it comes to natural evil, can the distinction be made out to be so sharp between it and moral evil? Um, I've mentioned free will. Here's a third question. What is valuable about free will? Is it valuable to have free will as a human being? After all, we're assuming in many of the theodicies and defences, it was valuable for God to create human beings with free will. But, but why? Why is it valuable to have free will rather than for everyone to be automata, always doing good things? The possibility of having free will introduces the possibility of us choosing bad things. Um, and so there's a risk there. Is it worth the risk? Um, there's a really interesting uh, question, which we don't have time to discuss very much uh, in the in-depth episode, but something worth thinking about. We talk about God having foreknowledge. Um, sorry, God being omniscient. Well, does that involve God having foreknowledge, the knowledge of the future? Well, some people think it does. But in that case, is that compatible with human beings having free will? Am I really free if God knows what I'm going to do? It raises all sorts of interesting issues uh, regarding predestination. Perhaps God has given us free will, but he knows already what's going to happen. Perhaps he's already chosen the winners and the losers, it's often uh, termed. The people who will turn out to be good, the people who will turn out to be bad, people who will go to heaven and go to hell. That's a kind of very particular take on uh, Judeo-Christianity, but certainly is a, a historically important take. So, is free will compatible with God having foreknowledge or is God going to be limited? So we, when we say God is omniscient, all he does is that he knows what's happened in the past and what's happened now, but doesn't know what's happening in the future. Um, if God can't create free human beings who always choose good, I've just kind of indicated that already with thinking about automata, is his omnipotence constrained? So let's go through that. So um, let's imagine there's, there's a choice before God. Um, he can either create automata who always do good, or he can create a few human beings, but there's a risk. Sometimes they might do good and sometimes they might do bad things. That seems to be uh, implicit in the idea of human beings having free will. But in that case, if God can't create human beings who are free and yet always freely do good, is his omnipotence constrained? With these constraints on both omniscience and omnipotence, does it really matter? Um, because there's often a, a, a different discussion um, around God's constraint on omnipotence. Can God create a stone that's too heavy for him to lift? Um, can God create round circle, uh, uh, round squares? And some people think these are kind of interesting philosophical debates, but they don't really sort of hamper people's faith. I suppose the key question to then ask yourself is, if God was limited in terms of his omnipotence and his omniscience in the ways I've indicated around humans' free will, would he still be worthy of worship? Would he still be the sort of being that could create the heavens and the earth and still be something that we should uh, believe in and have faith in? Um, a very interesting question, which we discussed a little bit. We've assumed that God is all loving. Well, is he? Perhaps he's just there and he's all powerful or powerful to some extent. Perhaps he embodies both good and bad. He is alpha and omega after all. We assume that God's all loving, but perhaps he isn't all loving. Perhaps he's not benevolent. Perhaps he's a kind of patriarch and wanting to expose us to suffering and evil, perhaps by creating free will. This takes us back then to the important idea in 
in uh, Hicks' uh, theodicy, or certainly one way in which it could be taken. Um, a very interesting question we raised towards the end of the in-depth uh, issue, which relates to the idea of, of God's attributes, and particularly uh, the idea of um, God creating automata. So what's heaven like? What's heaven like? Um, is heaven uh, a place where we, as people who've been resurrected or angels or, or whatever, uh, do we have free will? And at that point, are we always doing good? In which case, if that's the case, perhaps God uh, can create uh, a realm where humans have free will and yet always freely do good, in which case there isn't a constraint as omnipotence, that's good. Um, but why, why on earth then are we having this realm, the earthly realm, where God has either can't or has chosen not to create human beings who freely uh, choose good but also choose bad? What's going on there? So what's going on with, with heaven? Um, uh, and then there's something else that we also slip in into the in-depth discussion about the Euthyphro dilemma. We've assumed that all the way through that God has ultimate authority. God is omniscient, omnipotent. He's all loving and yet evil exists. What's the relationship between God then and, and goodness? There's a classic discussion, often called the Euthyphro dilemma because it's in a dialogue uh, called the Euthyphro by Plato, where Plato poses a question. Actually, it's about what the gods choose, but it can be given a Judeo-Christian bent. We think about just God. And a short version of it goes very quickly like this. Is good good because God is good, or is God good because good is good? Okay, let's break that down and go slowly. So is God good because good is good? And what that's getting at is good is the highest authority, and it's higher than God's authority. God is good because goodness is the thing to be aiming for, because good is good. Okay, but that's an interesting issue here, because then God is also limited. There's something of higher authority over him. Um, the uh, alternative, the other option, is good is good because God is good. So particular things are seen as good because those are things that God, the highest authority, has chosen and has and, and gives purpose to. Okay, but then the thought is, and it's quite a worrying thought for some people, God could have chosen differently and yet those particular things could have been morally good. So for example, um, perhaps God has chosen uh, in a scenario that genocide is good or the bullying is good or any sorts of other actions we normally think of as evil he could have chosen those and they could have been good he has the highest authority not not moral goodness um, plenty more to say about the youth throw dilemma um, it's worth thinking about looking up and then thinking how it pertains to the problem of evil um, and whether god has all of this authority um, in him when we're thinking about his attributes Right, this was supposed to be a short episode. Um, we should uh, come to an end there. So there's lots going on in the problem of evil. It seems like a really easy topic. It's certainly very compelling to get into and, and easy in that sense. Um, and there's lots going on here with Augustine planting a hick, many other writers, um, people we mentioned in the uh, discussion, such as Mary Midgley um, and other theologians as well. Um, lots going on there. 
But even just thinking about the, the way in which one might put the problem of evil and various different concepts and ideas that are part of it, omniscience, omnipotence, all loving, benevolence, evil, uh, once you start thinking about those and comparing them with other things, then lots of other things come into uh, view and you get lots and lots of very interesting questions. So as I say in the longer episode, you look at the problem of evil and you think it's fairly simple to get hold of and wait, initially it is, but then you can start peeling back layers and there's lots going on there. So I hope uh, this short episode was a good introduction uh, for the whole topic for you and a good introduction to our in-depth episode. Check out that in-depth episode and I uh, hope it helps you in your studying and your revision. And if you enjoyed this episode and the in-depth episode, check out some more of our Philosophy Get Schooled episodes, which are available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.